last year, uh, on the, I think it was the 1st or the 2nd of January, I saw a tweet appear online, and it was from the guy who uh, founded the Uversion Bible app. You got that on your phones, lots of you? And this is what he said. He said, last year in 2018, we saw over 700,000 new Bible plans started on New Year's Day 2018. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? 700,000. He said, but this year on January the 1st, 2019 was an all-time high when we had 1.16 million new Bible plans started. That's pretty impressive. I want him to tweet the statistic of how many people are still doing it at the end of January. Why do I mention that? I mention that because if you're a Christian worth your salt, I can say that, that's a South London term and it means no offence to you. If you're a Christian worth your salt, if you're a real disciple of Jesus, you'll have a love for his holy word. And actually, again, in Christendom and in any of the churches where I cross over and meet other leaders or whatever, it seems to be a sense in which there's a stirring towards getting back to the Christian foundations and the basics of prayer, being in the word, fasting, and, and worship. People are coming back to these basics. All these things that the emergent church tried to say, this is the next big thing, this is the good thing, this is what you have to do, this is the next scheme for that, 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 that. No. What did Jesus leave us with? <laughs> Jesus left us with what, the, what we can think are quite arbitrary and quite basic and quite simple, and maybe it needs to be more complex than that. No, it's not. This is the life-giving word. This is the one breathed out by God. You don't need any other book on your shelf other than this one or, or to supersede this one. Yes, use other books to supplement your reading, but that's where you live. And actually, that's where what I'm experiencing, that's what we're experiencing at Christ Central, people that are coming back to authentic discipleship. Not any of this fancy stuff, just genuine Christianity. And, and actually, that's much of what I want to encourage you guys in today. Um, because it can be something that we think, you know, we've, well, we've, done, we've been a Christian a long time and I've got that down or I've got that sussed. Actually, there's still so much more you have never experienced in God. He's the insurmountable God. He's the unfathomable God. He's the one who you can't plumb his depths because he's deeper still. He's that God. And he says, come to me through these means of grace and experience me and get to know me and know my love. And uh, Mark asked us to speak uh, as part of the sermon series, which is a real privilege, um, on not just for Sunday school, which I actually love that. I might steal that idea for a summer sermon series, if you don't mind, uh, someday in the future. We're currently doing the parables in, in, back in Christ Central in London. Um, but I, I love this idea for a sermon series. And I said, can I have Joseph? Because I love to teach uh, uh, about the life of Joseph. I've done it a few times and it's been a real joy to me because there's so much that resonates with me uh, about you know, the th- just the way he was and the way he handled himself. How many people here have got heroes in the faith? Yeah, people that you look up to and go, I want to be like them in that area of their life. I've got loads. I pull them out from everywhere. I was just bragging yesterday. I want to be like Rick because I want to be adaptable like him. I've always admired that in Rick. He can stop what he's doing and he will give you all of his attention. I'm not good at that, and so I have to learn that, and so I admire him for that and want to be like that. <laughs> and he's like, he never listens to me. But um, <laughs> he's giving his attention to me, that's why. But no, there's so many things I admire in others people who pray, people who are just faithful, and they never, people who never, ever, ever discourage you. They don't come and moan. I need to learn from people like that because I can be prone to moaning. I had to say to Raina, <laughs> no, true confession. We had a discussion in the car yesterday. I said, darling, we've got to get better at this. I do not want to be someone who complains. I said, will you help me? And she said, yes, I will. I'm not sure I'm going to enjoy that, being helped, but it's important. 
So what we're going to look at is the life of Joseph, and so what we're going to do is just look at his life. It only spans 13 chapters of Genesis. This will take two to three hours, and we'll be done, and you'll be fine. No, we're not really. We're just going to be in, uh, looking at a summary of his life out of Acts chapter 7, but we will delve back into Genesis a little bit later on. But this is Stephen's much shorter summary in Acts chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, and this is what it says as a bit of summary of Joseph's life. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him. And rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. How many of us need that this morning? (laughs) The favor of God to come in that measure. God was with him. Is God with me? Do you know God with you this morning? Some do. The rest have stayed very still. One thing you need to know, if you don't know anything about the way I like to preach, it's interactive. So I ask questions, I expect feedback. Um, I don't like to speak at you, I like to have a conversation with you if I can. But Joseph's life actually is marked out by some key components, and I want to give a very quick overview of those key components, but we're going to focus in on just one of them, and I hope that this is a word in season that speaks to you this morning. But actually, uh, Joseph very much has this massive download from God and experiencing God and then he goes through these three periods of life and so between the age of 17 and 30 he goes through a period which I will call preparation so say with me preparation Preparation. how many people here love preparation periods in your life no not a big fan no funny enough Joe yes Joe it's not our fondest time is it we're kind of conditioned to go I want to get to the good bit The making the cake's not the fun bit, it's the eating it that's the fun bit. The preparing it is there's a good time coming. Yeah? No? Oh, it is for me. Preparation's necessary, eating is essential. But but it's true, isn't it? There's periods of preparation that happen. And then one day, out, out of the blue, all of a sudden, in an instant, Joseph finds himself going from this period of preparation that's been going on for 13 years of his life, and he finds himself moved into a period of life that we'll call promotion. So say with me, promotion. Promotion. 30 years of age, he gets promotion. Is there anything totally wonderful about the age 30? No, there's not. Okay, before you start thinking, hang on a minute, Jesus, Joseph, 30, and then you think to some of your pastors and think, some of my pastors stepped into their role at 30. I was 31 when I came here, I think, uh, to be part of the ministry team here. And, and actually, there's nothing special about the age 30. It just so happens that that's what's going on in our story here today. And he receives this promotion. And Joseph, actually, a lot of people would say, is a type of Christ. You'll read that if you, if you read widely. Many people would say that Joseph, actually, there's an awful lot of symmetry with his life and, and Christ's life in many respects. What I love about Joseph is, unlike many of the other biblical heroes of the faith, when he gets his promotion, he doesn't louse up and make a mess of it. Because loads of the big hitters mess up, don't they? Moses grumbles, uh, David commits adultery and murder. You know, there's all these big hitters that you admire and you go, oh, but you messed up big time. But actually Joseph, he gets to this place of he's gone through the process of preparation into his promotion and he stays at the top for 80 years by the grace of God. And actually the next thing you'll find is he moves into a season of prosperity by the grace of God. Say with me, prosperity. Prosperity. You were a little more enthusiastic about that one than you were prosperity. 
So although we sort of looked at these three seasons of Joseph's life, the, the preparation, the promotion, and the prosperity, I want to focus on the period of preparation, the one that we least like, because I feel it's the one that the Holy Spirit would have me speak into today. And I hope it's something that's going to breathe faith into you. Because periods of preparation are not times of loss. They're not. We can view that and go, oh, no. Times of preparation aren't times of hardship only. But we can think that's the case. In the kingdom of God, we think if it's preparation, oh, no, God's going to have to work on me and do all these things. It's going to be really uncomfortable and I'm not going to like it. And it's going to be hard work and I'm going to have to graft day after day. Yes, some of those things might be true. But it's none of it need be wasted. Do you know, actually, you have to change your attitude to periods of preparation. I say to people sometimes, every crisis is just an opportunity. It depends which way you look at it. I say that as much for myself as I do for anyone else. In a period of preparation, it all just depends on how you look at it. You can look at it and go, it's going to be hard, it's going to be gruelling, it's going to be this, it's going to be that. Or you can look at it and go, do you know what? I'm not fit for purpose yet and Jesus needs to do a a little bit of work and I'm going to let him. I'm going to joyously participate in the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. Change of attitude changes everything. It does, doesn't it? And actually we need to have that attitude. Sometimes we need to have a word with ourselves in the mirror and say, come on, buck up, get on with it, receive what God wants to do in your life today. Stop being such a misery guts. Stop being so down in the dumps about this stuff. Sometimes you need to do that. Speak those positive affirmations over the season that you're in. You might not like the season you're in, but you need to embrace it. And one thing I've said from this platform, I'm sure before, because I've said it for many years now, is actually I believe with all my heart many people have prolonged times of preparation in their life because they're unwilling to engage with the work of the Spirit in that season. I can testify to that. There are lessons I should have learned much earlier and much quicker. But because of my failure to recognize the season, my failure to recognize the work of the Holy Spirit, I prolong the season. I know it to be true in my own life. It must be in yours. So we've got Joseph, this great guy, gets a dream in Genesis 37. And this dream is a bit, you know, it kind of makes you push your shoulders back a little bit, the dream he gets. Because basically what he gets told is, you're going to be better than your brothers. You're the run to the litter, but you're going to be better than your brothers. I'm paraphrasing, that's the Richie Powell paraphrase of Genesis 37, but that's what it says. And dreams captivate us, don't they? And this dream captivated Joseph. How many people here have been captivated by a vision for what God's church can be? Captivated by the gospel. Captivated by what the Holy Spirit wants to do in and through you. And that's what drives you on. Otherwise, you just wouldn't get up and go again the next day, would you? Dreams captivate us. God knows that about us. He made us. Made us in his own image. And he cast a vision before Joseph. And I believe today he's going to do similar things in this room, in this place. I don't know about you, but I wish that when God gave me a vision, he gave me all the detail. (laughs) That really frustrates me. Because God gives you a vision of where he wants to take you. And because I'm a very methodical person, I'm like, now show me all the steps of how we get there. What's the strategy? And that's the bit that takes an awful lot longer. It's almost like these stepping stones need to emerge. But this is how it goes. You appropriate the vision by faith. You take the step. Please don't feed back. You step out in faith onto a stepping stone and God says, yep, and there's the next one, and there's the next one, and there's the next one. And you receive by faith what God's laid before you because it is a walk of faith. That's the whole Christian life. The currency of heaven is faith. It's not finance, it's faith. 
You receive salvation by faith. Everything to do with your relationship with God has to be appropriated through faith. And it's no different when God puts a vision or a calling upon us. It's the same thing. We receive it by faith. So when God speaks to Christ Central Church and says, your next growth spurts to 600, I go into strategy mode in and of myself. Right, okay, maybe we need to do more of that and more of that and we'll do ministries there and maybe we'll reach them through those means. And actually, I need to bring myself back and say, God, what's your strategy? What's the first stepping stone? What must I do? Okay, we've got to launch a congregation. But God, it's scary. People are leaving. You know, have we got... We didn't, when we said this before the church, you know, it took us a whole year to get to the stage where we had a core couple. We said we're launching a congregation with no people and no couple. But we had to do it by faith. Because actually what you learn from the story of Abram in Genesis 12 and 13, it, God met with him when he stepped into the land. It wasn't when he gave him the vision in that story as well. You can go back and read Genesis, those chapters if you want another time. Actually, there's something about stepping out in faith into the vision. Then God meets you in that place. And I cast this before the church. And so we did that. We said this is where we're going. This is what we're doing. And it took a year for the key couple to establish But by faith, we embraced it. It's not Richie's vision. I want you to get that very clear. It's Christ Central's vision. Yes, God gave it to me. God spoke it to me. But if the people don't grab hold of it, then it's just nothing, isn't it? It's all just bluster. It must be embraced by the people. And so I guess one of the challenges I make to you early doors in in the Apex Church here is, is have you got hold of the vision that the leaders are putting before you? Have you given yourselves to that vision? Have you sought God's for what it means to achieve this, what it's going to cost you. Even though you don't see it fully, by faith, will you embrace it and will you get behind your leaders? Because otherwise, it's just a man, a couple of men, leading this church with a great call of God and a great mission and a bunch of people who just turn up week to week and do some faithful things. But are you right behind the vision? Because they need you to be right behind the vision. It's really important, and I'm praying by the Spirit today, he's going to work in our hearts to do that. Do it, Lord. One of the things that you'll experience in church is lots of different people come together, and God brings them all together in one place in a church, and lots of people have ministry visions and calls of God upon their life. And sometimes we can get so caught up with what God wants me to do and what I've got to contribute to the kingdom and my gifts and my abilities that it becomes about me. You're a body. You are all interdependent upon one another. It's not about my ministry. It's not about my gifts. It's about Jesus and about how I will serve him, how I will contribute to the body and the ministry. That's why it thrills my heart that you're going to cast the chairs back and minister to one another because it's not about me. It's about him. It's about glorifying him. I love a Francis Chan rebuke that he said the other day that I heard. It was fantastic. Some guy in his church came up to him afterwards and went, oh, I didn't much like the worship today. And Francis Chan went, good, we weren't worshipping you. I was like, I'm going to steal that for the next time someone comes up, gives me a bit of ear roll. You can have that one. (laughs) It's true. Was he glorified? Is he glorified in me? Is he glorified in my attitude? Is he glorified in my gifts and the way that I exercise them to build the church, not build a ministry around me? Is he glorified? There's something about getting a dream that makes faith arise. And I'm wanting wanting the Holy Spirit to give you a deeper insight into the vision and call upon you, the Apex Church, than you currently have. That's what we need. We all need it. Without vision, people perish, it says. 
I've known times of feeling like I'm perishing because the vision has become a bit distant or I've let myself become distant from the vision. Let it not be, Lord. We need it to be continually before us. God is setting a dream before you. I believe as well this. I believe that God is by the Spirit today is going to lift off some of the disqualifications that some of you have held over yourselves about why you can't give yourselves to the ministry in the way that you perhaps have in the past in this church. The disqualifications that we write over ourselves. Oh, I'm not very good at that. I don't speak very clearly. I couldn't possibly pray out. I couldn't possibly tell someone about Jesus because I don't have all the answers. Let me tell you, when I tell someone about Jesus, I don't have all the answers and I lead a church. I step out in faith. That's all we do. We know the bare bones of the gospel. Jesus loves you. He died for you. Your sin will condemn you to hell unless you believe in him by faith. There we go. Everybody can know that. But by faith, do you go and then go, do you know what? The Holy Spirit promises to go before me and meet me in that place when I've stepped out. And that's what we all have to do. None of us have it all together. Yes, there's some people with very bright minds and can argue till the cows come home. But do you know what? The every man can share the gospel. Jesus chose every man, didn't he? He chose fishermen. He didn't chose theologians. He chose ordinary folk to do his work. So what about Joseph then? For Joseph, he dreamed a dream that God had given him. And then he's got this period of 13 years to wait to see any sort of fruition of his plan. Or so it seems. And sometimes that's what it's like. When you enter into a period of preparation, there is a time of waiting. That's one of my frustrations. That period of, God, you've set something before us and now you're saying you want to work on me and, oh, how long is this going to take? But you're in good company. Moses had to wait 40 years, didn't he? Has anyone had to wait 40 years? Yeah? Moses had to wait 40 years before he saw anything happen. Abram, 25 years. Jesus' disciples, three and a half years, you know, before they started to see the things that Jesus had taught and said were going to happen. And they walked with him every day. Preparation. Every day, alongside Jesus, learning the ways of the kingdom so that they could work out the ways of the world. If God saw preparation as essential for these guys, how much more should we value times of preparation? And I don't think that we're very good at that, if I'm honest, because we don't like them. But I want to encourage you to actually adopt an attitude and a posture of saying, God, work into my life what you must and work out from my life what doesn't belong You will grow quickly as a Christian. You will see the hand of God in your life and you will actually prevent prolonged periods of preparation because of your inability to cooperate. Are you hearing that? There's often a time lag between the vision and the embracing of that vision. That's just how it is in the kingdom because there's often times of preparation. Bill Heibel says this, Vision is a picture of the future that produces passion. Have you got a vision of the future that produces passion in you? Have you? Maybe for some of you, you think, yeah, for my business. Yes, for my family. Yes, for my mortgage being paid off and the house being where I want it to be. And da, da, da. We've got visions about those things. Have you got a vision for God's church? Have you got a vision for what the apex church can be in cows? Or do you believe that this is just it? This is what we do. This is, this is you know, I'm comfortable with this. I promise you, you have not arrived. You haven't. There's so much more ahead of you. But it takes everybody playing their part to achieve it. Leadership is great, but leadership cannot do it on their own. I can speak as as a leader. 
you know what? So many people often will default to let the leaders lead. Let the leaders do everything. Let the leaders do this, do that, do the other. It's exhausting. We don't want to lead everything. So I deliberately make things awkward in our church where I won't pray out and I won't lead out. And I leave really nice long gaps. (laughs) And then people come up to me and go, why didn't you do something? It's like, because it's supposed to be all of us ministering. Not just in a Sunday service, all week long. Every member on a mission. Everybody playing their part. Everybody being crew, nobody being passengers. That's what it's like in the church. So I want to say to you, it's not Mark's dream, it's not Ashley's dream, it's the Apex Church's dream. What is it you're carrying in your hearts? What is it you've given yourselves to? You give your time, your talent and your treasure to. Yeah, that's what we'll do. If we're really captivated with a vision... You'll give up your time. It will be self-sacrificing. You will give up your gifts and your talents, whether that's doing children's work or making cakes or doing decorations or whatever, or door knocking or street work or whatever. And you'll give up your treasure. You'll put your money where your mouth is, where your commitment is, where your, where your heart is. You'll put your treasure there. It's your heart in the apex church. Because that really tests our metal. I say kind of cheekily in our, our church because I, I, I like to have fun. Um, but, you know, it's often said that the last thing to get converted in a man is his wallet. It's true. People will go, yeah, I love Jesus. Yes, I'm committed. But don't touch my wallet. You see. And actually, when you mention tithing, you see people go down. They start patting the leg. They're like, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? It's true. It's not saying that actually your giving determines your commitment. But it is part of a sign of where your heart is. Is your trust in your treasure or is your trust in Jesus? Because you're not actually giving to the church, you're giving to God. Just so it happens to be in the local church. Your time, your talent and your treasure tells the rest of the church, it tells each of us our commitment, doesn't it? We've got to be deeply committed to these things if we're ever going to see the vision become a reality. That's the bottom line. That's what it takes. I'm going to encourage you, commit yourselves to these things. And I don't want that to come as a heavy-handed word. I want that to come with all the grace it's meant in, because I do say it in that, in that sense, all right? So what about Joseph? What's going on with him? He was a man who prepared properly. One of my old elders said to me many, many years ago, he said he, he was a man of all the Ps. He said, proper preparation prevents pathetic performance. All the peace, he used to say to me. And that was when we were setting up scaffolding in our church building for a, a, a theatre show that we used to do once a year at Christmas time. Proper preparation, Rich, prevents pathetic performance. We rehearse, we rehearse, we rehearse. We do this, we do that, we do the other. Proper preparation. And then he used to say another one to me. So he used to say, Rich, failure to prepare is preparing to fail. And I learnt those things. And you think sometimes they're just phrases, but you know what? They're maxims that I've applied to my life. <laughs> Because it's preparing for something that you want to see. You, want to, you have a vision of how that Christmas service will go. Well, it's going to take graft. Boom. What about the vision for the church? You're going to have to go through a period of preparation, engaging with what the Spirit is doing so that you can see it become a reality. And it's not that the leaders have to do that. We all have to do that. Are you committed to preparing yourself for what God has before you? Will you allow the Spirit to work and move in your life so that you are ready Three people nodded. (laughs) 
Failure to prepare is preparing to fail. It's as simple as that. I've applied those to my life. But there's some things that you realise in Joseph's life that happen really early on, and that's what I want to just hunker down into for the next 10 minutes or so. Because the first thing that he's challenged with is a forgiveness test. So in this period of preparation, he gets a forgiveness test. Joseph had to learn one of the most difficult tests that any of us have to learn, and that is to forgive someone. How many people find forgiveness easy? It's hard, isn't it? What about if the other person's in the wrong? don't forgive them. Do you know what they did? Do you know what they said? Do you know how they're behaving? Do you know how they're carrying on? I'm not forgiving them. It's the third time this has happened. And we go on justifying ourselves. Joseph is faced with this incredible forgiveness test. His brothers have rejected him, abused him, sold him into slavery, betrayed him, nearly killed him. That was their goal, kill him. And do you not think for a moment, just there and then, that Joseph might have wanted to succumb to a little bit of a case of the poor old me's? When you're at the bottom of a well, and you've been beat up, you've had your jacket nicked, and, and you've been sold in slavery, you're kind of like, I'm being treated really unfairly here, Lord. They're bang out of order. Can't you sort this out? But we're not told that, are we? We're not told that that's what happens. We're actually told that even in and amongst how much he must have been tempted to behave and feel and justify himself in feeling that way, he didn't. He behaved differently. There was something very special about Joseph's life. I think he understood that the hand of God was on him. The dream didn't just captivate him. It totally captivated him. And it drove him on. That everything in his life from that moment on was about fulfilling what he'd seen and what God had shown him. And he was deeply committed to that. And to top it all off, Potiphar's wife accuses him of rape and has him imprisoned. It's not looking good this season of preparation, is it? It's not. This hussy, Potiphar's wife, is coming up to him day after day. Giving him all a little bit of the ankle and all that lark. Come to bed with me, she says. I mean, talk about forthcoming. She didn't just say, come on, come out with me. Go for it, take me for a drink. She's like, come to bed with me. She's been a nightmare. She said, it says in in Genesis, you can read this on your own time, that day after day she did this. It weren't a one-off. She kept coming after him. Relentlessly. But I love Joseph's response. He turns around and he flees. He flees. And so when people come up to me and say, oh, I'm having a really hard time, I'm really struggling with this sin, but I'm praying, I'm praying, you know, I'm praying. I'm like, great, it's great that you're praying. But pray while you're fleeing, for goodness sakes, before you get entrenched and trapped and you fall into sin. Pray on the run. Some Christians need to learn to flee. It says in the word, flee the very appearance of evil. It doesn't just say flee sinning. It says the appearance. When it looks like it's about to go south, Run doesn't say hang around and pray, Lord, give me the strength to stay here. Give me the strength not to give in. Oh, that's nice. No. It says flee. Christians need to get better at fleeing and pray on the run. They do. Joseph, let him be our example. He's suffered this false accusation. He's been totally wronged by his family and he's been totally done over in every sense of it. And at that point, do you really think that the dream seemed like the dream was going to become a reality? doesn't look much like it does it 
But yet he had to embrace by faith that God had spoken and he would be faithful to fulfill what he'd shown him. If you've ever been accused of anything wrongly in the past, you'll know how that feels. It's horrible, isn't it? It's horrible. It's a horrible feeling. When it happens in the church, somehow it seems a million times worse. I've worked all my adult life in the building trade, and so there was always things on site where someone had blamed someone else. That's just the culture. Oh, that's the chippy's fault. They didn't do that. Oh, look at the sparks leaving all the mess on the floor. That's their fault. Da-da-da-da. Everybody blames everybody. And then people start to get the ump with everyone else because they haven't done their job properly or whatever else. And that's just how building sites are a lot of the time. It's not that pleasant. And you know what? You can cope with that. But you come into the church and someone says, oh, I don't really like how she sets out the chairs. Somehow it's so much worse, isn't it? And it's stupid. They don't like how I set out the chairs. Well, why are they using those cups? Or what are you doing this? What are you doing that? It's just endless. The things that can go on in church that are so minute. And yet we get really easily offended. And we have to be on guard because the enemy's loving it. He's going, brilliant. Look at how easy they are to manipulate and to wind up and to hurt and offend. We have to be a people of grace. We have to extend it to one another and we have to receive it from one another, whether it looks like it or not sometimes. But please speak lovingly to one another. Don't, don't be like those backbitey churches. Lord, save us from all that stuff. It's in times of preparation, it's in times of challenge when we're having to forgive people whether they deserve it or not that we are really shaped. Do not let roots of bitterness go down into your Christian soul. It will rob you of the blessing of God. It will rob you of fellowship in this place. It will rob you of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Unforgiveness will stifle the work of the Spirit in your life. It is. It's like a blockage, like blocking one of your arteries voluntarily. Unforgiveness. Choose forgiveness every time. God says, I'm the judge of all. I will deal with all things and I will make all things right at the end of time. I'm fine with that. So let it go. As that ice princess sung. I'm not going to sing it, love. Don't worry. I love this. Who does Bible in a year from Nicky Gumbel? Anybody on your phone? Okay, a couple of you. One of the things that was on the Bible for a year for Nicky Gumbel was uh, out of seven, uh, Psalm chapter 7, verses 1 to 9. And, and, and just he picks out a couple of verses. But this was their synopsis of those verses. It says, some people might think that belief in a God who judges would lead to more violence in the world today. In fact, it is exactly the opposite. When people stop believing in God's just judgment, they are tempted to take control of it themselves and take matters into their own hands and seek revenge. David trusts that the judgment will be just and that God will be the judge and he will just judgely, uh, judge justly. Eugene Peterson says this about these verses and I love it. It's, it's a bit of a sort of shake your fist in the air. He says this, verses 7 and 8 of Psalm 7 in the message translation. My accusers have packed the courtroom. It's judgment time. Take your place on the bench, reach for your gavel, throw out false charges against me. I'm ready. Confident in your verdict. In other words, David trusts that God will deal with his enemies. It's, it's interesting that we took communion, actually, because the Apostle Paul gives a strong warning, doesn't he, to the out of Corinthians, where he says, actually, make sure that you are in right relationship with me, the Lord, and with one another. If you're not, you heap judgment upon yourselves. That meal needs to be taken reverently. Actually, is there unforgiveness among you? 
because it will stifle what God wants to do. It will prolong your period of preparation. So a forgiveness test comes. Then the next thing you'll see is he gets a faithfulness test. It's not looking much better again. What else happens? The whole test of sexual temptation is probably even more dangerous than the forgiveness one. He's a young man. It says he's a good-looking lad as well. That's what it says of Joseph. And he endures this constant advance of Potiphar's wife coming after him day after day. He's away from his family. He's away from all that he knows in a strange city. And this woman, pretty, powerful Persian woman, is taking a shine to him. And she is offering it on a plate. It says in verse 7 of Genesis 39, And after a while, his master's wife, that's Potiphar, took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. She's brazen. She is. Coming after him like that. That's not subtle, is it? But it says in verse 10, And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. I'm not even going to be in the same room. I am fleeing from your presence because you are a relentless woman and I'm not going to sin and rebel against my God. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God, he says. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. He refused. How many of you need to learn to refuse? You need to learn to flee and you need to refuse to sin. I am not going to do that. I'm not going to entertain getting close to it. It's like when you see those railings that are just painted and it says wet paint, do not touch. And you're like, how wet is it? Don't go on the grass. Human nature. You need to refuse that in a spiritual sense. When the very appearance of sin comes your way, refuse, flee. And pray while running, for goodness sakes. Learn from Joseph. In seasons of preparation, we have to be vulnerable with God. But I promise you this, the enemy will come after you. The enemy has got a remit, has it all day and all night. Kill and destroy. That's his goal, isn't it? Divide the church, break down relationships, ruin marriage, make people unfaithful, make people squander money, make people do this, make people be jealous, make people lie, make people... All day and all night, he seeks to devour us. And in seasons of preparation, it's no different. And he knows when you're in a season of preparation. And actually, if he can derail you from embracing the vision that God set before you, he'll try his best. Christian, you need to wise up. Seasons of preparation can be hard, but they can also be full of blessing. They can be full of absolute wonder as well in God. It's not all hard craft and loss. Yes, God will take and rub off some of your corners, but he will prepare you for what is ahead. Will you let him do it? Will you refuse to sin? Will you let him work in your life? And the last thing you notice is he gets to a fruitfulness test. That's the last thing that we see in this passage today. The thing I love most about Joseph is this. He didn't wait until he was in his period of prosperity before he started being prosperous. You'll see that as you read through the passages of Genesis. He didn't wait for his promotion until he started being prosperous. He was prosperous while he was being prepared. Joseph didn't wait to start being who God had called him to be. He already was who God had called him to be. He was now in a period of preparation. So some Christians say, oh, when I qualify or when I I feel ready or when I'm there. If you're a Christian, you're ready. 
You're called according to his purposes. That's what it says in the scriptures. So embrace it and start to walk in that. This is what it says in Genesis 39, verses 22 to 23. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those who were held in prison. So he's in prison at this point, and suddenly he's found favor, and it gets better than that. It says, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. You got the run of the place, Joseph. That's pretty good, isn't it? You're in prison, but you're prospering. The warden paid no attention, it says, to anything that was under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. He prospered in prison. Some of us feel trapped sometimes. Some of us feel that we're in a dead-end job or a horrid situation. You can still know the prospering of God, Christian. You can know that. We need to be a people who are looking for God in the ordinary, not just the extraordinary. It's not all people jumping out of wheelchairs. Do you know what? Sometimes it might just be an incredible encounter with God in your devotional time in the morning. That's just as wonderful a miracle as someone getting out of a wheelchair in my book. Because if it changes me, if it makes me more like Christ, that's remarkable, right? We need to embrace these things. If Joseph had waited to be fruitful until he got before Pharaoh, if he'd been a complete layabout in prison, if he'd just been like the prison yard you know, idiot and all that kind of stuff... He would have missed out on what God wanted to do, but he embraced his period of preparation. Something about the vision that was before him kept him going, kept him embracing this call of God. It says in Luke 16, doesn't it, that if you're faithful in a little, he'll entrust you with much. Do you know that in your own life? Have you been faithful with the little God's given you? Have you? It's challenging, isn't it? So I'm going to bring us to a close because you're all looking a little weary. There's much for you, for us, for the Christians on the face of the earth to do. There is much to do. But I want to say this. When you find yourself in periods of preparation, because you don't just go through it the once as a Christian, you'll go through it again and again and again. The older Christians all nodded at that point. You will. You'll go through them again. Embrace them. Learn to ask the question, Lord, what is it you are doing? Because we become so blinkered and go, it doesn't make sense. This is slowing me down. This is, this is not what I thought it would be. This is just hard work. Stop yourself in your track. Get before God and say, Lord, what is it you're doing? What is it you're trying to work into my life? And what is it you're trying to work out from my life that no longer belongs? What worldliness needs to go? What is it you're doing? Forgiveness, faithfulness and fruitfulness were the hallmarks of Joseph's preparation. Let them be the hallmarks of yours. Don't neglect the Christian basics of prayer, being in the word, of fasting, of fellowship, of discipleship. Don't neglect those things. But engage with what God is doing in these days. I believe God has put a great vision before you as the Apex Church. I don't know fully how that's being worked out from Mark because I'm not here day after day and, and with you guys anymore. But I'm saying to you, get right behind it. They need all the help. <laughs> Everybody ministering, everybody playing their part, and that's what will see the vision become a reality. So the sermon title was Dare to Believe. Will you dare to believe that God will work in your periods of preparation? Will you dare to believe that when God puts a vision before you, that you will work with the person of the Holy Spirit to see him bring you to that place of being prepared?
That's what it is. Preparation is about being prepared for what God has next for you. And that's all I need to leave you with this morning. That's the sermon that I felt God wanted me to share with you. I hope it encourages you. All right, God bless you.